the great salvation that we've stepped, stepped into. But today, um, I'm kind of going to land this thing in terms of I'm trying to consider some simple, practical things that we can do um, to help facilitate Shalom and Sozo kind of in our everyday lives. So that um, these uh, concepts, these ideas are actually grounded in practicalities that we can actually put into practice um, today in the, here, in the here and now. And so uh, Titus chapter 3 and verses 4 to 8 is a beautiful um, scripture. It says, but when the kindness and love of God our Saviour, that word their Saviour is actually the root word behind that word is the word sozo, surprise, surprise. The word uh, Saviour is connected uh, to, the, to this word sozo that was, we've been looking at. So when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, he sozoed us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us. He rescued, restored, healed, made whole us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that having been justified by uh, his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God, those who have experienced that is God's work of, of sozo, those of us who have met the Saviour, may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. It's a, such a great scripture. And in these verses, uh, Paul suggests a couple of key things. Firstly, um, that sozo, the God's work of salvation. It's not just us, hopefully by now you realise when we talk about salvation, we're not just talking about when we come to Jesus. But it's the whole, the whole work of, of God's rescuing and restoring our lives is actually an expression of God's love and kindness. It says, when the kindness of, of, and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us. Why did God save us? Why is God saving us? And why will one day this whole messy world that we live in, why will one day be restored? Because God is kind. And then the second um, um, thing about uh, this verse is that those of us who have received the kindness of God, who've been impacted by this thing called sozo, that have stepped into um, this life of salvation, we are, have a responsibility and that responsibility, it says there at the end of uh, in, in verse 8, is to devote ourselves to doing what is good. Our response to um, the Saviour and our response to Shalom and our response to Sozo is that we are to devote ourselves to a life of kindness. If we've gone through four months of teaching and we're still in the same place, as we were four months ago, and we haven't become motivated to kind of um, administer the shalom and the sozo that we have received, then can I just be blunt and say that we're religious? We're hearers of the word and we're not doers. That the purpose of salvation is to, to become so enamoured 
with who God is and what God has done for us and is doing in our lives, that we want to look for ways in which we can participate with God. Get on, get on board with this great dream that God has for our world and be, be carriers and, and, and administers of that shalom and sozo into the lives of others. Our role in the world is, in the, in the light of shalom and sozo, is that we are called to sow seeds of shalom and sozo to those who are around about us. Let me suggest um, that there are five groups of people um, that we actually, who need our goodness, who need shalom, who need uh, sozo, who need kindness. And when we express kindness to folks, what we are doing is we are contributing towards God's great dream and God's great vision for this earth. So the first kind of person that today, from today, I want you to start being kind to is the people or the people who are closest to you. Kindness, shalom, sozo, salvation begins at home. And what I want to, want to encourage you to do is to practice the art of kindness, bringing shalom and sozo to those who that we have a tendency perhaps to overlook because, you know, it's our wife, it's our kids, it's our friends, it's our neighbours, you know? And, and you know, that saying, um, uh, familiarity can breed contempt. We just kind of overlook the fact that it's those that we uh, live and do life with that really need and would benefit from sozo as much as anybody else. And I'm calling upon you to do small, simple things to be a blessing to those who are closest to you. If you're a teenager, make your bed. Yes, <laughs> some parents get excited about that one. In that, in that gesture, you know Jesus said this, if you give a cup of cold water, as simple as giving a cup of cold See, the kingdom comes through small gestures, through little things. Giving a cup of cold, making your bed. The kingdom is coming. Isn't that a surprise? Husbands, make your wife a cup of tea or bring her breakfast in bed every now and again. Not just that annual Mother's Day fiasco that we kind of had last week. <laughs> or, or just say thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for being in my life. Thank you um, for, for um, being my friend, for being my, my, my wife, or being my mum or my dad or, 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 or my, my child. Just take the initiative and do something that you don't need to do. You know, definition, my definition of kindness is doing good to, for someone just because you can. Not because they deserve it. The, the thing about kindness is it's got that element of surprise to it, hasn't it? You know, it's just got that little kind of, oh, I wasn't anticipating that. I wasn't anticipating my teenager to make their bed. How lovely is that? I was... Um, I have to confess, I was watching um, uh, Dr. Phil one day. I was flicking through the channels. That's where I get my theology from. 
I was flicking through the channels and I saw, you know, how they have the little captions that run down the bottom. And it said, what women want. And I thought, I need to watch this. I, I might learn something. What women want. Anyway, Dr. Phil's big idea was this. That if you want to please your partner, what women are looking for is not big things. The, the thing that kind of gets their juices going is when you put out the rubbish and help with the kids. Little acts, I see a lot of women nodding their heads right now. Just little gestures, practical acts of kindness can make all the difference in our homes and in our families. Shalom and Sozo break into our world when we do and we say kind things to those who are closest to us. The second group of people that need our kindness are strangers. Not just those who are kind of familiar to us, but those who we have no relationship with, no ongoing connection, connection with. Hebrews 13.2 says, Don't forget to extend your hospitality to all, even to strangers. For as you know, some have unknowingly shown kindness to angels in this way. A little bit mystical. That's kind of good, isn't it? Sometimes, you know, when you just reach out to somebody who's a stranger, the possibility of that being a, an act for an angel. Beautiful. I like that. I kind of like a little bit of mystery in my life. That's why I married Louise. That's right. A little bit of mystery. You know, random acts of kindness to people that we don't know can have great, great impact. Um, when asked by the BBC to identify the defining moment in his life, um, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, the great South Af African statesman and leader, spoke of the day that he and his mother were walking uh, down the street. And as they were walking down the street, there was this very tall, uh, dignified white man was walking towards him, and he was wearing a black uh, suit. And little Desmond was nine years old at the time, and the apartheid system was entrenched within South African society. And during the apartheid era, when a black person um, and a white person met while walking on the footpath, the black person was obligated to step aside to let the white person uh, pass by, and the black person was expected or required to nod their head as a gesture of respect. How absolutely appalling. In my lifetime, in your lifetime, this was culture. This was, was rooted within society. And a bit of a... 50 years ago, Aboriginal people still fell under the, 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 what the fauna and uh, flora and fauna act. They were not considered to be human beings. In, 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 in my lifetime. And this week we, we celebrate, at the end of this week, and next week our eight and eight prayer theme is going to be for the indigenous uh, community uh, throughout Australia. Sorry, I got off the track. That's one of my passions. Um, anyway, 
On this day, that little Desmond and... Uh, uh, I can't say Tutu, because I kind of imagine a, something... <laughs> Anyway, on this particular day when this uh, gentleman, white gentleman, was walking towards them, um, before Desmond and his mum could step off the footpath and, and nod their head, this um, tall, dignified um, white man, he stood off the pavement and ushered them through and he took off his hat as a gesture of acknowledging them. That white man um, was a man by the name of Trevor Huddleston. He was an Anglican priest who was bitterly opposed to apartheid. And that moment changed Desmond Tutu's life. The act, the kind act of a stranger revolutionised him. When his mother told him that uh, Trevor Huddleston had stepped off the pavement uh, because he was a man of God, uh, Desmond knew that in that moment he had found his life calling. And this is what he said to the BBC. When my mother told me that he was an Anglican priest, I decided there and then that I wanted to be an Anglican priest too. And what is more, I wanted to be a man of God. That white man's simple act of kindness to two strangers had an impact that he could never have imagined on the nation of South Africa. The shalom and sozo that breaks into our world through that act of um, Trevor Huddleston can be replicated potentially whenever we choose to do something kind and good for a stranger. The third group of people that we need to be kind to is the poor. Proverbs 19 and verse 17 says, He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and God will pay back what he has given. When we give um, to those who can never repay us or return the favour, what we are doing is we are actually acting like God. When we do good, to those who can't fully repay us for the good that they receive. That's what God has done for us. How can we possibly repay back God for the generosity of Shalom and Sozo that we experience and enjoy? In Matthew um, 25, Jesus said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. One of, my, um, one of the guys that I just love is uh, um, Tony Campolo. Who, anybody know Tony Campolo? There's a book called uh, The Kingdom of God is a Party. 
I kind of read that every, every year. There's one particular story, which I'm not going to read today, but there's one story in there that I, I, I read at least once a year. And even though I know what's going to happen, I still burst out into tears. Um, Tony Campolo's a, a brilliant, brilliant man, a great storyteller. And he tells the story of a friend of his called Claire, who was a, a Presbyterian pastor in Bel Air in California. And Bel Air is home to all of the, um, the movie stars and the ultra-wealthy and there's a department store in Bel Air called uh, Nordstrom's. And each year, this, um, this uh, uh, priest, um, Claire, gets a shopping bag, a Nordstrom's shopping bag, and she fills it with tissue paper to look like she's um, actually shopping in the store. The truth is, she doesn't have the money. To, she can't afford to shop there, but she just likes to go in there at Christmas time and kind of sense the ambience of Nordstrom's uh, during Christmas. And she kind of walks there and looks like she's, uh, she's well-to-do. Um, it was one of these Christmas visits to Nordstrom's that Claire was on the top floor. And the top floor was where the most expensive dresses in, in the entire place were sold. But you couldn't find a dress for under $1,000. Very, very expensive and she's there on the floor having a look around and enjoying the kind of the feel of, um, of, of, the, of the shop during Christmas. And the doors to the lift open and out comes a, a lady who is um, obviously homeless. She's, uh, she's a, a street person. She's covered uh, in, in dirt um, and ragged clothes and she's definitely not the kind of person that uh, could afford to uh, buy anything in this particular store. Claire fully expected a couple of security guards to come and um, take this lady, put her back in the, in, the, in, the, in the lift and kind of escort her out. But instead of, the, uh, of security guards, a very tall, um, stately saleswoman appeared and went up to this, um, this homeless woman and asked and said, Can I help you, Mum? Yes, said the woman in a gruff voice, I want a dress. That's my impersonation of a... <laughs> a fail, thank you, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what kind of... Wouldn't it be a worry if I could pull off these voices really well? You'd kind of really be concerned then, wouldn't you? What kind of dress, inquired the saleswoman? A party dress was the answer. Well, you've come to the right place, the saleswoman replied. We have the finest dresses in the world. Indeed, they did. The two women looked over the dresses as they talked about which colour would best suit and match the colour of the homeless woman's hair and eyes. Then the saleswoman said, Follow me, madam. I want you to try on these dresses to see how you look in each of them. Claire, the Presbyterian minister, was flabbergasted. She knew the saleswoman must have realised that this homeless woman didn't have the money to buy either of the dresses. And so when the two women went into the, um, into the dressing room, Claire couldn't resist the temptation. She just had to listen on the conversation. So she put her ear against the um, dressing room wall so she could hear what was being said. She was after a sermon illustration. That's what preachers do. They're on the hunt. After a while, she heard the homeless woman say, I've changed my mind, I'm not going to buy a dress today. And the saleswoman answered, Well, that's quite all right, madam, 
but I'd like you to take my card. Should you come back to Nordstrom, I would consider it both a privilege and a pleasure to wait on you again. Claire went over to the sales lady to ask what that was all about. And as she drew close, she realised what had prompted her to treat this lady with such kindness and respect. On her blouse was a little pin with four letters. W-W-J-D. What would Jesus do? This sales lady had obviously figured out how Jesus would have treated this homeless woman with dignity and with kindness. Shalom and Sozo came into Nordstrom's on that day when that saleswoman treated that homeless woman with kindness. And the same happens whenever you or I do something kind for someone who is poor or who sits on the margins. The fourth kind of person who uh, needs to experience our kindness are our enemies. Luke 6.35 says, So Jesus said, Love your enemies, do good and land, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons and daughters of the highest. For God is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Um, before Lou and I were married, um, I, we were in Bible college together and I got a job uh, working in a, a, a factory that made screen doors. Now, for those who know me, uh, they understand that I am not a very, very practical person at all. Uh, making screen doors was, um, was a real challenge for me, having to kind of cut metal and I don't know, I don't even know what the tools were called, but saws and all that sort of stuff, you know. And I had this, this supervisor uh, by the name of Dick, and I actually thought he was very, excuse me for saying this, but very aptly named. And um, <laughs> anyway, um, this man was, um, I'm sure he used to drive into work each day thinking, how can I make Steve's uh, day a misery today? What can I do to irritate him, annoy him? What can I do just to get on his case? And just to kind of, um, just, you know, make his day as miserable as I possibly can. He was, he was not a very nice man. And um, about a week, uh, or sorry, a couple of days before I was to leave, and a week before my wedding, I was just so frustrated by... by this man's treatment of me. And I was working at my desk, at this table, making a screen door. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm, I'm really pleased that this kind of experience is over and I'm, my, my, my role here is coming to an end. You know how you have prayers and conversations with God in your head? You know, at least I do. And, I, and I'm thinking to myself, God, you know what? If I'd worked in this place for, 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 for 12 months... I would never invite this man to my wedding. You know how you normally invite your work colleagues to your wedding? I'm thinking, I would never invite this man to my wedding. And I'm going, God, in fact, you know, if, if I worked in this place for two years, I would never invite, I'd never invite him to my wedding. I can't stand him. He's just so irritating. 
In fact, I wouldn't care how long I've worked in this place for, I would never invite this man to my wedding. And as I'm having this conversation with God about saying, I would not invite him to my wedding, a thought, a voice broke in. And it was so smart that it wasn't me thinking. It, it had to originate from beyond myself. And I'm saying, God, I would never invite this man to my wedding. And God's voice came to me and said, that's funny. I've invited him to mine. It was one of the most humbling profound moments of my life when I just realized he was somebody who was, was felt like intentionally awful to me, who gained pleasure from just making my life difficult. And I'm saying I'd never invite him to my wedding. And God is saying there's going to be a time in history, in the future, where there will be a wedding supper. And everyone is invited, even Dick. Even Dick. There's a place at the table for Dick. I've got a place at the table for this man who is your enemy. We've got to be learned to be kind to those that we struggle with. I hate it when people ask that question. <laughs> I hate it when people ask like <laughs> if, I, if I had invited him, I would have told you by now. Okay. <laughs> See, I'm a work in progress. Um, you know, I don't practice what I preach. I just tell you what you should do. Shalom. And so as I break into our world, whenever we say or do something kind to someone who is unjust or unkind towards us. And finally, the last person that needs our kindness is yourself, is you, it's me, it's all of us. You know, some of us are kind to everybody else. We can be kind to strangers, kind to our those who are closest to us, um, we can be kind um, to the poor. We can be kind to our enemies. But some of us, oh my God, some of the things that we say to ourselves in our minds, we would never dream of saying to another person. We're quite happy to be generous and kind to other people. In fact, we might even do what Luis, you know, encouraged us to do last week, you know, in terms of give gifts. We might, um, we will... We, we'll, um, uh, sorry, I've forgotten now. Whatever the other four love languages are, uh, words of, um, of words of affirmation and that kind of stuff, acts of service. We can be kind to other people, but we've got to learn to be kind to ourselves. Sometimes we've just got to treat ourselves and go. You know what? I'm going to go out for the day and I'm going to spoil myself because I'm worth it. I'm going to say nice things about myself today because God has nice things to say about me. In Isaiah 54 verse 10, 
This is what God has to say about you. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you. There has never been a moment in your life when God hasn't had a posture of loving kindness towards you. And the greatest act of kindness that the world has ever known, that you or I will ever, ever experience or encounter, is found in our opening um, scripture in Titus 3, 4 and 5. When the kindness and love of God, our Saviour, appeared towards man, not by the works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, according to his kindness, according to his grace and his love, he has sozoed us. He has rescued us. He has healed us. He has delivered us. He has a plan and a purpose for our well-being. At the cross, Shalom and Sozo broke into our world in the form of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Do you know what? Shalom and Sozo are not, are not principles. They are not concepts. But Shalom and Sozo are actually a person. The person of Jesus Christ. And this Jesus, the Saviour, did not wait for any of us to be good or do good before bestowing upon us this wonderful gift that we call Sozo. Rather, in kindness, he laid down his life for us. Why? Just because he could. Thanks, Andrew.